and welcome to day 22 of Napa Pomo for 2018. I have been to Co Club today, so I thought I would talk all about Co Club because it's something I uh, dearly love and have been involved with for the last five plus years now, I think. Now, um, I volunteer at a local Nottingham school. Uh, re- relatively near where I work at a lunchtime I go to uh, Walter Hall's Primary and Early Years School to give it its full title and it is a great school I love I love going there the kids are super uh, excited about uh, doing anything with computers as kids tend to be these days uh, but I find that what's interesting about the format of what we do at, at Walter Hall's is that it's not typically a Uh, it's not a typical co-club because what we do instead of uh, always having the same after-schools club idea that an awful lot of co-clubs are based around is that because of the area that the school's in um, it was decided that an after-school club probably wouldn't get a lot of attendance so we switched it around to be the first uh, slot after lunch when I first started there, I did try it at a lunchtime, but it turns out that kids are more interested in running around the playground when it's a good weather and eating sandwiches and school dinners than uh, coming in and spending some of their time coding. That said, we did have you know 10 or so dedicated souls who came and, and tried it out with me. But moving it to the first slot after lunch worked much better. And what's quite interesting about what we've tried over the years is that typically the target age of the materials is, um, I suppose, slightly older than what we try with at the, at the primary school. Because I've actually I've actually done co club materials with kids as young as year three. And whilst you know there are attention span issues sometimes and and uh, coordination of you know understanding computers, I think the the year threes always amaze me because they are always up for a challenge. In fact, I don't think there's a, there's any year that I've done it with that haven't actually taken on that challenge and, and, and run with it because that's what I love about working with, with children is that the, the wide-eyed sort of I can do anything I want is still very much with them and in my opinion should never be bashed out of anybody that, that you know, I'll get kids who used to get to the end of module two uh, on Scratch, uh, I'll explain that in a minute. And there was a there was a worksheet that said build your own game. And I would have children who would just go, oh yes, I've I've got this game that I play at home, and I'm just going to recreate that in Scratch. And I'm like, wow, you know that there is literally nothing that you that at the way that they approach that task, there is literally nothing stopping them from taking it on and assuming that they can just do it. Because, you know, in their heads, they're already there because they can see it. And that, that power of visualization is something that's that's key and I and I think should be uh, nurtured and, and not removed. Uh, the, anybody saying to a kid, you know, oh, just be sensible, that's never gonna work kind of thing is just, you know, should should be stopped in my opinion because it's it's that kind of, vision and purpose that that is a is a great drive uh, to have so we work i work predominantly with scratch which is an a very uh, visually based programming language um, where you build 
our program out of coloured blocks. And those coloured blocks are key because they actually help steer the children to certain types of programming behaviour that we want them to use. So be that um, motion blocks, be that how it looks, be that um, you know sensing uh, about where the mouse pointer is or where the what colour the mouse pointer is over and all these kind of things. And so the worksheets are great because they are structured in a way to introduce the children to concepts as they build through them from basic animation all the way through to starting to build games. And games are a great vehicle for teaching because if, if you're enjoying what you're doing at the same time as doing it, chances are it'll stick. If it's something... I've tried to learn things in the past where I've opened a dry book and thought, well, the only way I'm going to get to learn this is to go from cover to cover. And you very quickly realise that, that you're absorbing or you're trying to absorb information that might not feel relevant to you. Whereas at least with a Code Club worksheet, the fact that you know that at the end of this you're actually going to end with a working game, that's a motivation because it, it feels like that there's a purpose to the, the steps that you're following. So that's a great vehicle for actually getting children to learn. And so... I tend to pair the children together on one laptop. That's partially down to the fact that, you know, schools aren't resplendent with one laptop per child. I mean, it used to be the case that it was one desktop uh, around. If, if at least nowadays it's actually uh, it's actually laptops. But it's even so, it's uh, it's sometimes more practical, in my opinion, to actually pair children. And not least, it actually is another way of building team bonding and, and, and sharing and, and other things that you know really we should be practicing on a, on a more basis but it actually models you know a lot of the way that you know a, a predominant amount of our development work at work is is done is is with teams of two taking on a problem it's not the fact that you know initially if you've never come across that practice it could feel counterintuitive that you get two people looking at one problem but actually having a sounding board of somebody else to actually say do you think this will work uh, really does cut down feedback time and also catches out some common problems that maybe somebody else's viewpoint would actually uh, pick up on earlier so to get the children to almost do that as well is actually really good because it means that they can simulate a, a, a real world experience and it's not just about the fact that we want them to do that because they are you know we're poor on laptops the Scratch now, thankfully, runs in a browser. Uh, it used to be the case that you had to install it, and that used to be a, used to be difficult when you were working with a. Um, uh, it tends to be that computers in schools are managed by uh, remote IT teams. So sometimes trying to actually get any any work on this to actually work, you know, sort of to to change the build can take weeks to to sort out. That said, Scratch in its current form. Is a, is a problem because it actually uses Adobe Flash, which for as much as it was great when it was built, uh, it tends to not be as well supported these days. And certainly you have to do things like click to enable because of the you know, people wanting to have some control over what goes on on their machine, and sometimes it's not even installed as a plugin these days. So Scratch are working on a new version which lands in January, which I believe will be HTML5 all uh, 
and it will. Uh, it's currently in beta. You can you can get to it from the Scratch website. If you're interested, it's scratch.mit.edu because the uh, MIT University championed it as a thing, and it's a it's a wonderful thing. So yeah, I'm massively into the uh, the whole ethos of Code Club. It's it's about uh, building trust and and skills for the next generation to build off. I think for me that I've, I've given the, a brief talk on this in the past where I've said that for me that I think that games consoles are, whilst a wonderful platform because they are a consistent spec that developers can can make games for have in a way stolen a generation of curio from their curiosity about how a computer works in terms of building them or understanding what's inside the box and so I found that the, the Raspberry Pi revolution that has that's pretty much started with that um, in my opinion is <clears throat> has got kids realizing that circuit boards and and wires and chips are what are actually making their games and gadgets tick and so now that there's there are devices that I can put in their hands and say this is what a computer looks like rather than this is just a, a glossy device that you hold in your hand and you you can't open it then it's easier now I feel um, to actually get the next the, the newest generation of children learning to understand that these are the building blocks of, of how we get to where we are so that's that's really exciting I find that that aspect of code club is is personally satisfying to be able to share some of the passion that I had as a youngster uh, many moons ago about building things with computers I mean back when I was um, you know sort of starting off with my BBT Model B I remember before even floppy disks or cover disks were popular on you know on the, even on that was I was typing in code listings from the input magazine directly into into the uh, the BBC so yeah so code clubs massively uh, enter uh, entertaining and and worthwhile volunteering if you've got any time to volunteer you can you can still work with a venue there are plenty of venues around uh, the country looking for volunteers to come and help them so uh, have a check out on coclub.org.uk for more details about that and then the last bit I want to talk about is actually to do with the BBC Model B because my brother sent me a great video link which uh, took me back to my childhood this week because he linked to a video talking about the Doomsday Project. Now, any of you of a certain age and slightly um, geeky would, would know about this anyway because um, certainly in the mid-80s there was a project run by the BBC and I believe some government department as well was involved and I only learnt that through this video that they were encouraging a census almost of the UK to be carried out by I think it was a thousand schools so they div divided the country up into grids and then gave each local school a set of grids to actually collect a standard set of information for and then make it available and the video which I'll link to in the show notes does talk about the vast amount of data that was collected and and it was at a at a time which was I suppose lucky in one respect but also maybe was part of the idea is that because the BBC Acorn computers were quite pre heavily prevalent across 
education at that time because of either subsidies or just a desire to actually get computers into uh, into schools that actually the the fact that schools could then collate that information onto a BBC computer and then I assume they must have just saved that to a floppy disk and uh, posted it back to somebody to collate but I do remember as a, as a primary school kid actually collecting you know writing articles about the local area about the shops and it was delivered as I remember in a, a teletext format that you could with the laser disc uh, huge 12 inch laser discs double sided uh, and the video talks in detail that that was actually about I think it was like three gigabytes of storage I can't remember if it's exactly that but it was it was something massive that actually the the, the amount of historical data that's on there is actually really quite impressive for its time. And so it was great to go back and relive this because I remember in Mansfield Town Centre, the library had a copy of this. I mean, when it, it turns out that actually that whole machine, if you had to, you had to get a BBC Master, a Laserdisc and player, and a decent enough colour monitor to run the system. It turns out in 1990s-ish, when it started to actually get rolled out, even though it was collated 85. It was still costing schools and libraries uh, £5,000 to actually get this installed, which turns out to be about, I think they were suggesting it's about 15000 in today's money, which is just colossal. The, to think that that actually was going to be how much it cost to actually get that into the hands of people to actually consume once all that work had been done. But it turns out that therefore the, the, the bottleneck then was was the um, the cost of the system. So actually it turns out that the government did have to then step in further to actually subsidise the cost of at least some of the equipment to try and make it actually usable, even though it turns out that there were actually extra laser discs produced after that point to um, try and lengthen the, the life of those systems by uh, eco-disc, and I think there was one about volcanoes that the video talks about, but I never really saw any of that. I just saw the um, the... the the Doomsday Project itself. And when they play on the video, the, the opening credits music, my goodness, that took me back. I was just, I was in the library there on my own with, me, with my laser disc, and it's just, the bit that always blew me away was a forerunner of Google Maps. And I don't know if you ever played with this feature of it on, on, um, on the Doomsday Project, because there was actually a point where there was a nation disc, and on that, they actually had some walkthroughs of houses and towns and I say this because I distinctly remember the farmhouse walk where you could actually um, navigate around somebody's cottage and actually see all of these yeah, walk into rooms click and using a, a trackball which again was completely unheard of you know my BBC Model B didn't have a mouse it was just text input with basic and so to actually have a, a Marconi trackball attached as well was just the first time I'd actually seen a GUI really um, so yeah, the, but that ability to actually click through around on a picture and actually explore around a house was mind-blowing at its time. And, and it's only seeing that video that you suddenly think, well, that actually, that is what is Google Street View now. So it's, but it was done, you know, when I was a, a child and, and thanks to the fact that the video disc was able to actually store, the laser disc was able to store such amount of information. So definitely check out that video uh, if you at least remember it. Uh, definitely go and check out Code Club. Uh, I will be going to the Christmas meetup, and yes, I very much recommend um, inspiring the next generation to carry on coding. Have a great day, and I'll see you on day 23. Cheers.